This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor makes it super easy to create a podcast. Record or edit right from your phone or computer, add music and effects, and then publish. With one click, Anchor will distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple, and all the other platforms. And here's the best thing. Anchor will help you make money from your podcast by finding you sponsors. We use Anchor here on Talk Money, and it's everything we need in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now on to the show. You know, I've always made music. I was certainly, you know, making music for a long, long time before it became my job. There was a period where I was playing music in the subway, then that's how I was paying my rent. And so each month I would pay my rent in, you know, like $1 bills and rolled change. I was just kind of living hand to mouth. My mother was at that point pretty terrified for me. And so my stepdad and my mom were going to tell me, you know, this is it. You should probably give up and go to graduate school. And I showed up at my grandparents' house and they were going to tell me, and they were, who want to talk to you? And I was like, oh, uh, come in the other room. I want to show you this song I just wrote. I sat at the piano and I played this song and my stepdad turned to my mom and he said, let's give him six more months. Hey everyone, I'm Mesh Lakani and welcome back to Talk Money. That was Ron Pope, a musician based in Nashville. Ron ignored his financial health for years before he started turning things around. And in today's episode, we're going to hear how he did that and talking about how everyone can plan for a better financial future. So yeah, our story starts with Ron paying his rent, busking in the subways of New York. At that point in my life, I had the credit of whatever the worst kind of credit is, that was what my credit was like. Like debt collectors would call me and threaten me and I would laugh and I'd be like, okay, repossess my nothing. Put a lien on my nothing. It was bad. My, my, my money situation was very, very bad. If you've ever risked finances for something you're passionate about, you know how stressful it can be. These days, there's technology that can help us manage things better. Ron didn't have that, but he did have something else. Someone else. I'm Blair Clark. I am an artist manager, and I am also married to the musician Ron Pope. He takes up most of my time. <laughs> Blair's the co-founder of Brooklyn Basement Records, an independent record label and marketing agency. It's her second career. She had originally moved to New York for her job in advertising. And like a lot of New York transplants, she had a lonely start. I didn't have very many friends in the city and just started reaching out to anybody that I even remotely knew. <laughs> and Ron was one of them because we met in middle school. So uh, he was gracious enough to take me out to dinner to introduce me to a few of his friends. So we sit down at dinner and maybe an hour in, we've had a few glasses of wine and we're laughing and talking about growing up and all that stuff. And I said, so how are you and your boyfriend adjusting to living so far apart? And she said, actually, we broke up. And I was like, oh, really? He was very confident. He was happy. He seemed really excited about life. He was a musician, which was crazy to me because I knew nothing about him being a musician. And so we just, oh, I don't know how to say this on a podcast, but I mean, we were just like, it was easy. It, it was just really, we were, sorry, I'm going to start over. <laughs> they liked each other. So when we started going out, I was... Like, two bad weeks from homelessness. I, I didn't have any fans. I had just come off of a miserable tour. I played in the back of a sushi restaurant for two people, and one of them was asleep. It was like that kind of tour. They were lean times, so I bet it wasn't very impressive. 
he and his roommates did get evicted from their apartment one night. And so he and one of his roommates showed up to my apartment with a bag. (laughs) That was in my very first apartment in New York that I was sharing with two other girls that did not know these people. And they were like, wait, what? Two dudes are coming to stay on our couch? Why? (laughs) Uh, So that that was a little bit of a clue that things, you know, weren't perfect. But I was 20, you know, 4, 25, and was like, yeah, he'll probably figure this out at some point. She gave him a chance, and eventually they moved in together. And that's when Blair, who was a fan of music, got involved with Ron's career. She would come home from work, help him out on the side, sending emails here and there, promoting shows, passing out flyers, starting to act like a manager. Until finally I was taking on more and more of a central role (laughs) and was... I wasn't acting as his manager anymore. I was his manager. Once she realized that, she started paying herself and then quit her job. Things were getting serious on the personal side too. They were talking about marriage. She loved him, but... I feel like I was hesitant only because he was an artist and sometimes that comes with you know not knowing exactly what to do with your money. And so I remember saying, If you don't get your money shit together, there's no way I can marry you. (laughs) Blair told Ron point blank, with your credit, we're never going to get a mortgage. She told him, I save for retirement. I have a savings account. I pay off my bills. Like, if this is stuff that you want, you have to sort it out. You know, I can't, I'm not going to tie myself to that. (laughs) As much as I loved him. It was a practical thing. She had good credit. She was serious. I I really came to understand fairly quickly that it, it it was important. Even though my lifestyle and my career are unconventional, some of my wants were very conventional, and that required that I make some substantial changes. For Blair, it wasn't just about the money. It was about a future without worry. She loved Ron, of course, but she had worked really hard to set herself up. And Blair didn't come from money. But her mother always taught her to budget and save. Ron didn't have that same financial guidance. You know, even though it seems like, oh, this guy that got evicted and had credit card debt, what an idiot, right? But honestly, he wasn't. He's a really smart guy. He just wasn't taught in the same way that I feel like I was taught. Around this time, Ron's career really started to take off. He was one of the top unsigned artists at the height of the MySpace era, being courted by major labels. I don't know. This is a song, Practice What I Preach. The money started coming in, and he began to take it seriously. Ron started buying prepaid credit cards and paying them back in full to build up his credit. It took a while, but it worked. And Ron says he couldn't have done it without Blair. No, there's no way. The career that we've built is really, it's a reflection of the two of us working in tandem with each other. Ron had a lot of managers over the years, and none of them did a great job. For Ron, Blair had something they didn't. What I found is it doesn't matter the credits that someone has. It matters how invested they are in what you're doing. I think it's important to find partners that understand what you're doing and care enough to 
actually offer value. And that's something that Blair did for me that no one else did before. It comes down to trust. And Ron trusted Blair enough to follow her guidance. Together, they created an amazing life together. They started their own record label. And Ron's music, it's been streamed hundreds of millions of times. His credit score is in the mid-700s. They relocated in Nashville and bought a home. They own the building that their office is in. They have retirement accounts, a special savings account for their daughter's college, and multiple emergency funds for all the worst-case scenarios you can think of. In other words, they really have their money shit together. The emergency fund is very important to me. I don't even want to touch it when we have emergencies. (laughs) I'm constantly scared that everything that we've built is just going to evaporate. And so I would save every single penny that we ever made if it were possible, but it's not. It's a good thing to be on top of your finances because you never know what could happen. 10 years ago, we saw the worst case scenario during the financial crisis. Losing a job or not being able to find one, a housing and stock market crash. All of that made us skeptical of banks and financial institutions. At the same time, we've seen companies emerge that compete with the traditional banking system with lower fees, better customer experience, and more transparency. A lot of these new products can act as the Blair to our Ron. This emergence of financial technology, otherwise known as fintech, was started by entrepreneurs solving their own frustrations with the system. I graduated from college with a bunch of student debt. And as you know, the student debt epidemic has reached unfathomable levels. That's Will Peng, founder of North Star Money, a company that helps you automate all your finances and provides a human advisor as well. The frustration Will wanted to solve was around his student loans. He had two federal loans, three private loans, and he had no idea what to do. I just went with whatever payment plan they recommended. I was like, this sounds good. Did you not do any research at all? I did. I mean, I Googled around like like anybody would. But the, the tough part about personal finance is that you need to know what questions to ask. And I think this is the theme in financial services in general is that it's built on a high level of complexity, maybe purposefully so so that people just give up and do whatever is the easiest, which is in many cases, nothing. That's what Will did. He went with the payment plan his lender had set up. And fast forward three, four years, I was like, how are my student loans doing? I logged in and my balance hadn't changed. And I was like, this makes no sense. Like something must be wrong. But unfortunately it was right because I was just paying interest rather than the principal. So I was pretty angry. Will's frustration with the financial system is pretty common. Nobody likes the jargon and confusion that comes with financial services. But at the end of the day, our money and financial health is still our own responsibility. And it's intimidating. I read somewhere that people are more willing to talk about their sex lives than about their personal finances. And I think there are a number of different factors that contribute to it. There was an Atlantic piece titled The Secret Shame of Middle Class Americans. And it talks about how We get rewarded through social status for consumption, but there is no similar thing for the invisible things that we do to improve our personal finances, like saving. It's easy to convince ourselves we're being responsible. For example, when we bring our own lunch to work every day to save money, then we reward ourselves with a $100 dinner that weekend. It just cancels it out. There's a lot of research around the behavioral psychology of personal finance. And one of the most intriguing concepts around personal finance is this idea of mental accounting. There is this behavioral economics named Richard Thaler who came up with it. And the idea of mental accounting is that when you assign different purposes to 
different dollars, you consider them differently. Thaler ran a famous experiment about this. Let's do it together. Imagine you're on the way to a movie theater. You already have your ticket, which costs 10 bucks. It's a cheap theater. When you arrive, you realize you lost the ticket. It was on paper. They can't print another one. Game over. Do you buy another ticket? Most people would not. 54% of the people in Richard Thaler's experiment would not buy another ticket if they lost the first one. But hold on. Now imagine you're on the way to the movies and you don't have a ticket yet. You're planning to buy one when you get there. It's still 10 bucks. When you arrive, you realize you've lost $10 somewhere along the way. Do you still buy a ticket? Almost everybody does. 88% of Thaler's subjects said yes. They would still buy a movie ticket if they lost $10 on the way to the theater. Almost like the first $10 didn't exist. To Thaler, this is crazy. It's irrational behavior. People who lost $10 in the form of a ticket wouldn't buy another one. But people who lost $10 in the form of a $10 bill, they would. And so this demonstrates the concept of mental accounting, which is that we've earmarked money for certain things. So we apply this idea to personal finances, which is that when you earmark your money for certain purposes, you're less likely to, for example, spend your savings for uh, going out with your friends on a Friday night. Mental accounting doesn't benefit us. It allows us to cheat. But there's a way to cheat ourselves out of cheating ourselves. Automation. Automatic transfers. Instead of having to constantly keep track of saving and deciding and what your goals are, set it up once and flip the switch. Start automatic transfers into the accounts and the goals you want. You don't have to worry about building habits or forgetting to put money aside or paying your bills on time or investing in your retirement every month. Technology has enabled us to automate our financial well-being. I know some people who actually, quote, pay themselves. So what they do is that they have their money from their paycheck deposited into an account, and then they actually have it split into different accounts for spending, for bills, for their savings towards their goals, for their retirement. So when you not only assign value or assign a purpose to your different dollars, and maybe even put them in separate physical accounts, that's one of the most effective ways that you can actually create behavior change for yourself in personal finance. Again, this idea of creating a system that keeps you on track when you have low motivation. So how do you get started? Setting up a good foundation starts with figuring out your monthly cash flow, how much is coming in and how much is going out to fix costs like rent, utilities, groceries. Once you figure that out, you can start making plans for what's left over. There are four categories to consider. One, paying down your debt. Two, setting aside for savings. Three, retirement and investment accounts. And four, your emergency fund. So let's start with one, paying down debt. We all know the hardest part is just doing it. But Will has a tip or two. I love these idea of secrets. And one secret that I love related to paying off debt is that if you make payments to your loans more often than monthly, you actually save money on interest. Most of us pay our debt bills once a month. But with certain kinds of debt, interest is charged daily. Over the course of a month, that daily interest compounds. So when you pay more often than once a month, you can start to nip that interest in the butt. 
you also want to be paying down your higher interest loans first. Those are the ones that are doing you the most damage. Okay, the second big thing, savings accounts. Open as many as you want if it's helpful to have different buckets for different goals. But, Will says, It is possible to keep too much money in your savings account. And what I mean by that is, once you get past the, let's say, three to six months of expenses in your emergency fund or your savings account, it is no longer advantageous to you to keep putting money into that. That money is better used investing, putting into your retirement, putting into an IRA. Which leads us to number three, your retirement account. Stocks and bonds meant to grow over a period of time. Sometimes your job will set these up for you, and some you can create yourself. If your job does offer you a plan, make sure you take advantage of the employer match. And four, the emergency fund. When shit hits the fan and you need that extra dollar to get by, or you lost your job and you need to pay for the next three to six months of expenses, your emergency fund is there for you. Earlier, we figured out what your monthly cash flow is. So think about what you need for three to six months. That should be around what your emergency fund has in it. And that's it. You're probably wondering, Mesh, well, which services should I use for automation stuff? You've been blabbering about this for the last 20 minutes. I've got you covered. For overall financial automation, check out Will's company, North Star Money. Or I also like Albert Finance. They'll help you with everything from knowing your monthly cash flow to automating your savings, retirement, and emergency funds. Both have financial advisors that you can talk to about specific situations. Check out the links in the show notes. For savings, I like Marcus by Goldman Sachs. It's super easy to use with minimal fees and a competitive rate. For setting up investment, retirement, or your college savings account, check out Wealthfront. Keep in mind the goal of all these companies is to make money off of you. They'll offer you all sorts of products. So study them and make your own decision. That's your personal finance 101. It's actually quite simple. And I know a lot of us are really just scared to see what our monthly cash flows are. I know I've been in the past. You just have to do it. It's the only way you're going to set yourself up for a great financial future. I hope this has all been helpful. I'm Mesh Lakani, and thanks for listening. If you have questions, make sure to email me at mesh at thetalkmoney.com. I'd like to thank our guests, Ron Pope and Blair Clark, for sharing their amazing story. Check out Ron's music on Spotify or go to ronpopemusic.com. I've personally become a fan. And I'd like to thank my dear friend, Will Peng. Remember, you can see the written format of this episode on thetalkmoney.com along with other episodes. And all the sites that we shared on the episode will be there as well. Thank you to Ryan Kyloth for producing and editing this episode of Talk Money. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. And as always, thanks to the folks at Anchor. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you choose to listen. If you like our podcast, please share it with your friends. Until next time. This episode is for informational purposes only, and listeners should not construe information, interviews, analysis, or other material embodied within the episode as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. This episode and its contents are intended to be of a general nature, and listeners are advised to seek professional advice in connection with any personal investment decisions. This has been a Lola Media production.